Welcome back to Joker Men. Uh, again, it's a not Bob uh, show. Today. Our Bob sabbatical continues. We got to come up. I, I think. Uh, what, what are we calling this? Excitable boys? Is that the? Um... Yeah, have a. I guess that's good. It, yeah, sure. That's the working title. If there's a better one, you'll see it in the title for the episode now. Uh, but for the time being, we're operating under the assumption that that's the cheeky. Uh, fake name that we're coming up with for this one because uh, we're here to talk about the great much beloved much um tortured uh sort of artist uh deep dark soul warren zevon with the one and only fan favorite guest actually Stephen hyden welcome back Stephen. wow fan favorite really yeah people have uh mentioned several times uh i forget where exactly but they they can't get enough of you on on this program here because uh, you, unlike us, uh, are someone who actually knows what he's talking about. So it's it's very refreshing for our listeners to hear uh, someone who uh, isn't a blathering asshole for once. Um, well, it's so. it's because of the tension that that we have, right? It, the friendly tension, because I feel like at some point we end up arguing about. Like, <laughs> you, you, one of you guys will say something, and I will get, uh, you know. I will yeah. express consternation about it, and, and 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 people like the drama of that. I think it's just like a, a normal person wandering into a room of of two uh, crazy people and, and sort of being like, "Wait, oh wait, wait a minute, what's going on here?" We're so used to just talking complete nonsense that uh, oh come on, you guys. <laughs> I I'm selling the myself self-depre- short here. I believe self deprecation I mean, act. I'm not buying it at all. I think no. that. You should own your opinions, because I look. Lots of people think I have many terrible opinions, so I, I don't want to present myself as the voice of reason by any means. Sure, uh, you're you know, not, it, surely. It's good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, the sparks fly when I come yeah, on, and I exactly. mean, that's what people are responding to. You know, it's a you little could say bit of drama. It's, it's, it's like a boxing match. Uh, you could mm. say it's like a <laughs> match of boxing, it's like fi- like uh, Alexis Arguello and uh, Boom Boom Mancini, perhaps. Yeah, it's sort of like very that. nice, very nice, very already nice get, way to bring it into the album. Already getting there, but before we get there, because we're here to talk about Lawrence Yvonne's great first comeback album, 1997, Sentimental Hygiene. Uh, before we get there, we were just talking off mic. Uh, you have decided to add to your beautiful, stately, compact disc collection yes. with Walter Becker's 1994 masterpiece, 11 Tracks of Whack. Yeah, and it's because of the Jokerman Twitter feed. It's which, a great record, isn't it? It Well, you know, to be honest, I haven't dug too deep in yet. It just arrived in the mail today, and I, I was <laughs> like, you know, I could, be, I could listen to this on... I assume it's on streaming platforms. It would for sure be on YouTube. But I was it like, is, yeah. I'm gonna wait. I'm gonna wait for the compact disc. I'm gonna slip it into my minivan, <laughs> and I'm gonna listen to this album the way it was intended to be listened yeah, to. Yeah, that's beautiful. So I'm excited for that. Um, I haven't dug. I think that's his only solo record, right? Yeah, he's got one other uh, circus, circus, circus money. money. Oh, uh, okay. which is apparently mo- like a reggae-influenced album. Oh, it's, um, it's really... It's the, one of the weirdest album covers I've ever seen. Very weird album cover, yes. I have not I have not dipped my toes in there quite yet. Um, and, that was, and that was after he stopped doing drugs, too, which is kind of amazing that that's yes. when he would make the reggae-influenced record. Maybe he felt like he was finally kind of uh, tuned in to you know, the, the spirit uh, of uh, Gaia and, and could finally make it happen. Yeah, reggae. The, that's what they call it in, in, in Rastafarian <laughs> culture. They say Gaia. I'm pretty sure it's Ja. He's, he's chasing the dragon uh, sober. I, I, I like it. Now, but I mean, I because I, I, I have all the Donald Fagan solo 
albums. Right. I uh, like, but uh, I haven't dug into the Walter Becker, but I, I, that song you played, you played the first song on the yeah, record. Yeah, spoiler, the first song on the record is by far the best. And that's Definitely not to, best not, not to belittle the others, but it's like a really good song. Yeah. It's really cool. And I, I was really just like, wow, Becker's got a really cool voice. He's so cool. Yeah. And he, it's funny, he's like one of those guys where you, he just doesn't look like he sounds really like maybe no. it's just the mustache and the glasses. It's got to be the mustache and the glasses. Well, he's sort of like a, a like a orb shaped man, uh, especially <laughs> compared to uh, Fagan, who is you know kind of tall and thin and you know rectangular. Well, he's it's he just was, sort of a he was it's a thin. weird. He used to be. You know, oh yeah, no, no, not not orb shaped as in like he's heavy. Just he's just round, literally he's got a round kind of yeah, face. He looks like Roly Poly Oli with yeah, like exactly. glasses and a little mustache, <laughs> and then he sounds like uh, I forget what the first line is, but something's uh, alive and well. There you go. I mean, he kind of sounds like Fagin, but like a more ragged version of Fagin, which I'm I'm on board for. I mean, I love Fagin's voice, and so more you know. Uh, a less polished version of Fagin. Even uh, I don't really think of Fagin being that polished of a singer. But he also I, doesn't have that weird like l- pseudo lisp that Fagin has. Sort of. Have you ever notice that? Sometimes yeah. He's like it's more noticeable when he talks than when he when he sings. That video that uh, uh, Dan takes posted where he, Fagin was just talking into the camera like David Lynch the other day was uncanny. <laughs> it was surreal. It's funny though, like when you read interviews with them, especially in the seventies, like Becker is the more cutting one, you know, like he's right. like the more sarcastic and more intimidating. I mean, he comes across that way in print. Like there's a great musician magazine interview from around the time of Gaucho where it's pretty long interview. And, uh, when Fagan and Becker aren't just cracking wise, giving the interview a hard time, like Becker is the more sarcastic and, you know, uh, like I said, just intimidating dude, which you don't, again, you wouldn't think looking at him. But, That's because uh, he's wearing glasses, but the truth is... He's the silent killer. Yeah. It's, a, it's one of those those things where you think somebody might be a little bit more meek and nice because they're wearing glasses. It's not true. <laughs> and he's the party animal, too. I mean, he was the dude that, like, went full rock star and way then, out there yeah yeah and then and retired think, to hawaii and just like started yeah. growing vegetables or something there's that story though i think it was around gaucho of like a woman like his, his girlfriend was i think it was his girlfriend found murdered in their apartment odd yeah in the OD'd, apartment exactly and then i think there was a civil suit against him and right. it didn't i don't know it settled or he did you know, he, he wasn't held criminally liable <laughs> yeah. but uh but yeah, he, was a, he, was, he was into the horse though I oh, yeah, yeah I mean, there's a of lot course. of uh, edgy ta- uh, stuff on that on that CD. But I mean, the like, first uh, song is about yeah, then, being like an aging heroin addict living in the suburbs. And then you get well, Junkie Girl, which is uh, also <laughs> about that. Also about being a heroin addict. It's, uh, he's got, uh, they both got a type. Um, all right, we're trying to keep these uh, on track tonight. We're already eight minutes in, and we haven't even spoken a single word about Warren Zevon. Uh, we're not here to talk about Steely Dan for once. We're here to talk about the great... Warren Zevon. Uh, Stephen, correct me if I'm wrong. I, I think I've read uh, or heard from you somewhere that is he like your favorite artist of all time? No, I w- Bob Dylan is. He's oh. number one. But I love. Uh, I know. I know something about him. I love Warren Zevon, and uh, in many ways, I I credit Bob Dylan for getting me into Zevon. I mean, I was obviously aware of him 
growing up, I knew Werewolves of London from FM radio. Um, but when Bob went on his 2002 tour in the mm-hmm. fall, I saw him play in Berkeley that October uh, at the Greek Theater. And it's that's like one of my, that's my favorite Bob Dylan show I've ever been to and uh, one of my favorite concerts ever. And that was the tour when he was doing all the Warren Zevon songs, as well as like a bunch of other covers. Like I have a recording of the show I was at and he covered Brown Sugar. Yeah, the covered, Brown Sugar yeah. era. And he covered Neil Young, uh, Old Man, and uh, boy, and Old he, Man and Brown Sugar. And did he do accidentally like a murder and mutineer at that concert? Yeah, yeah, yeah he did those Man, two. Killing and, it. Uh, I know he also did Boom Boom Mancini. Yeah. <laughs> saw Bob who wrote the book about the replacements I was DMing with him recently I don't think he'd mind me sharing this story Bob always like knows people and he's not trying to name drop but he does name drop because he just (laughs) knows a lot of people and he was like yeah I was standing next to Peter Buck at the Seattle show on that tour Peter Buck the guitar player for REM who plays on sentimental hygiene along with the rest of the musicians in REM and Zevon starts playing. Um, Dylan starts playing "Boom Boom Mancini," and Buck realizes, like, "Oh wow, he's playing my guitar lick." God, Bob Dylan. Uh, so that, that's pretty cool. That's wild. Yeah. Um, so anyway, that tour it was the impetus for kind of getting me deeper into Warren Zevon. You know, uh, like Mutineer, I'd never heard that song. I, I knew "Accidentally Like a Martyr" because I had "Excitable Boy," but I didn't know "Mutineer." Um, and I think that's on some greatest hits albums, but like that album, which we're going to talk about, Mutineer, that's a pretty obscure album. Very deep cut. Yeah, uh, it's, it is. That, and but I, 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 I love that I, album. I think we, I mean, I grew up more or less with like knowing most of Zemon's stuff, like the, that, 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 at least the, the obvious stuff. Cause I had like the, uh, Best of or whatever it was called, like a quiet, simple life or something. Quiet normal yeah. life, yeah. Yeah, quiet normal life. And I had uh a few of the other you know, obvious picks like from my dad's C D collection and um what was the other one that was like, huge for me it was Life Will Kill You was like oh, a yeah. record I had and was really into, like way too young to listen to that. And um I also uh, didn't know mutineer <laughs> like a year or two ago like i it still is pretty obscure to me and I, I like to think i know a lot of his catalog but not that much 
Well, when when Zivon was on Letterman for that famous uh, appearance where he you know talked about having cancer and everything, the Mutineer was one of the songs he played mm-hmm. on that show, along with Roland. The, the head the seminal did he do seminal bingo he did seminal no. bingo in 95 when he came okay. on um just to actually promote the record not not yeah, a, did, much of a crowd pleaser at that time no he did roland he did uh mutineer and he what was the, the third one he did i can't remember what the third one desperados he did. Is no, he never played Desperado. That was in your. So that was another thing to drop here at the beginning. You wrote a beautiful, like ten thousand yeah, word, like <laughs> one uh, of the better pieces out there about Warren Zevon. Oh yeah. wow, thank you. Yeah, For the so. Ringer a couple years ago at this point. Um, but that was yeah. one of the factoids you mentioned in there is that uh, uh, Letterman always wanted him to play Desperados, and he never he never felt like he could, or he was too embarrassed to, or he didn't have the right kind of like symphony behind him or something. He, he, was, yeah. he was edgy about it for some reason. Yeah, I think he wanted like a string section. He wanted it to sound like the way it sounds on the, the first record. Right. So he never did it. And then uh, Dawes did it like uh, on one of Letterman's last shows. That's so cool. As, as a request. Um, yeah, I mean, Zivon died on my birthday. So Jesus. That's like another sort of wrinkle. I mean, not my birth birthday, but it was my, uh, I would have been 26. It was my 26th birthday, the day he died. So I always think of Warren, yeah, I always think of Warren Zevon on, uh, on my birthday. Uh, Keith Moon also died on my birthday. Whoa. You've got a a bad, bad luck day for rock stars. Born under a bad (laughs) sign, man, with rock stars that I love. Uh, um, well, I mean, we could uh, prattle on endlessly uh, just about uh, Zevon trivia history and whatever, but let's, uh, you know, we got we got a couple records to talk about, so let's, uh, should we should we hop in? Well, yeah, let's b- do it. B- before you blow on that horn, uh, that harmonica, I just want to point <laughs> out, we're talking about a fir- the first record we're going to go into, Sentimental Hygiene. Sentimental Later, Hygiene. we'll go into Mutineer. Mutineer. But uh, this record is from the year of 1987, is that right? Yep. Yeah. And it is also sort of an obscure uh, record it with a really <laughs> weird title. And with that, I think we can uh, go into the first song. Yes. Uh, weird title uh, that we all definitely 100% know exactly what it means. Sentimental hygiene. Can, can I just ask quick, like, why you thought to ask me about this album? Because, and not one of the more obvious Warren Zevon records? Well, because that's, um, that's our show. That's Steve. our bit. <laughs> that's well, our because thing. the reason I ask is that, and maybe I don't want to make this declaration, but I have said that this is my favorite Warren Zevon album. Hell yeah. So the fact that you asked me about it, I was like, have I talked about this before? Well, you I you think certainly mentioned it in the in that piece. I think you you mentioned songs from it, like as if they're songs everybody <laughs> every Zevon fan is like very familiar with. Yeah, you're dropping "Reconsider Me" as if it's the same level of like cultural uh, knowledge uh, as "Lawyers, Guns, and Money." Yeah, you called yeah. "Reconsider Me" his most poignant love song. Like you did like a little sly like just dropping that out of thin air his most poignant love song right not there. wrong necessarily not well, necessarily wrong at all but you and, you and, and really with Warren he doesn't record. have he doesn't have a ton of like straightforward love songs right 
So, you know, it, I, it would be a bigger statement if I was like, this is his most perverse song. You know, that <laughs> more, would to, be, more to choose yeah. from, from that line. Yeah, there. then That's I would be going on a limb. I mean, in terms of love songs, you have Reconsidering Me, you have Searching for a Heart. You know, th- there's a few others, I guess. I like, but like uh, well, Keep Me in Your Heart uh, for a while, that one. Right. Is, but, and, and then there's... Uh, there's Mutineer. Is, is Mutineer a love song? I guess so. I think so. It sounds it like one. But even that song, and maybe, I guess we'll maybe talk about that later, but it's it's a love song, but it's not quite as direct as Reconsider Me, which sure. I think is... And it's resonant to me, and I wrote about this in my story, because one of the things I love about Warren Zevon is that, unlike a lot of singer-songwriters, he is not the hero in his songs. He's often the bad guy right. in his songs, and he acknowledges that and that's a song where he's asking for forgiveness you know it's like a sunday morning song you know like, yeah totally. i was i was horrible the night before and i don't know if you there's that book that his wife did i'll sleep when i'm dead which is like mm-hmm. one of the great yeah. rock books and there's a story in there about him playing that song for whoever his girlfriend was at the time and how she thought it was so beautiful that she hated it because like <laughs> well just because he had put her through a lot of stuff sure. like it it, it 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 hit close to home and was it, was it like, in the piece i thought that you said it was it was he played it for his like estranged wife and the as he was playing it the their daughter came in to show him something and he was too right. busy playing it right to, for to notice or to pay attention, attention to daughter, the daughter yeah. meanwhile like he's like Thinks he's making this grand romantic gesture, and right. he is. But <laughs> like he's he's, it's like in that moment she knew like this man can't be like back in my life, right? Yeah, <sighs> which which is kind of the perfect uh, Warren Zevon moment. But yeah. anyway, did you want to walk through this album in order? Yeah, I mean, I mean let's. Uh, we we should, you know we don't need yeah. to touch on every song in quite as much depth. Uh, some of them are a little easier to like. Uh, you the know, first one, I don't know that we need to. Well, the first one into, is the title of the record, about. and it is it is like it's an out of left field kind of sound, at least coming from where he'd been five years before on the Envoy. Uh, obviously, something that we have to touch on here is basically this is an REM record with Zevon fronting the band, um, and uh, and Neil Young is on this song, which I didn't realize until just the last couple of days, but he's playing lead guitar on this song. Uh, it's couple pretty, other... it's pretty distinctively Neil. I mean, it's got a very Neil sounding guitar over this synth rock that synth background riff. yeah and it is an rem record but rem has never sounded the way they do on this album like, right this is like as garagey and raw as rem gets i think and i say that as a big rem fan sure um but uh you know the jangle like melodicism that you associate with rem is not on this album this is like there th- this is the thing about zevon that i think it now is an apt time to touch on but it's like i there's kind of a brutal uh kind of uh, i don't know min- like maybe not intentional minimalism to cer- certain aspects of his his particular brand of rock which is like i guess it's a little primitive sometimes it, and it can go from being really melodically rich to being kind of like fuck you primitive rock 
And that seems like to me to be like the two poles that he sort of plays with. And this one is definitely more on the spectrum of the primitive straight up rock attitude. Yeah. Song. Yeah. Definitely nothing that sounds like Desperados on the eaves on this record. Yeah. Especially coming from like LA, you know, that seventies LA rock scene and all the friends that he had, you know, the Eagles and uh, Jackson Brown and, Lindsay and Stevie. Uh, yeah, he was definitely the most rock and roll out of all those people. Although he did have a sophisticated musical background, like he knew Igor Stravinsky when he was a kid. Right. You know, there's that whole story, and I think Stravinsky was like one of the first people to like give him a drink when he, when he was like way too young. Yes. Yeah, uh, the but, start of a. <laughs> he's he's a uh, guilty of. Quite a bit, uh, or guilty by association. But his home life was pretty chaotic too. I think his parents were uh, they'd argue a lot. I think there's like a story about like his dad throwing an axe at his mom's head. Yes, or something like that. Uh, I haven't brushed up on my Warren Zevon trivia in a while. I guess I should have done this uh, for this podcast. But oh, good. Um, we both just read it, so we can uh, okay correct good. you based on what you wrote. Yeah. Right. And I, it, I read the whole Rolling Stone thing that you linked to in that oh, article man. also, which I had never read before. That thing is fucking harrowing. Good. Yeah, God. that's a yeah. Paul Nelson wrote that. Uh, Bob Dylan associate from Minnesota. You know, right. Paul Nelson, Little Sandy review, that whole thing. Yeah, I think that came out in eighty one. Eighty one. Yeah. And, and, uh, and was branded as like, he, he's finally over it. He beat, he beat the alcoholism for good this time. And uh, then uh, proceeded now to fall off the wagon. Now he's got some sentimental and, uh, hygiene. Uh, can we just yeah. talk briefly yeah. about no, what, 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 the what does, does that, that mean? mean? What does it mean? Well, it, you know, <laughs> what I think it means is that it's the idea that you can cleanse yourself of like the bad things you've done mm-hmm. or the cynicism in your life. You know, almost like, uh, you know, brushing your teeth, but you're brushing your sins away, like a mm. sentimental hygiene type thing. I think that's what it means. Sentimental so is the tricky word for my understanding of it. But maybe it's like not caring about certain things from the past. Just having, yeah, I think you might be onto something there with the metaphor being like a cleanse of all this stuff that is floating around in your in your subconscious and in your in your memory. Then right. you just want to start over. And he had come out of this five-year period where his life and career had basically cratered. I mean, he hadn't made a record in a long time. And you know, now he was coming back um, with this new album. And so I, I feel like there was some sort of idea of rebirth at that time. Because totally. it seems like he was kind of in the gutter in the mid 80s and again you know the 80s in general were just not a great it wasn't a great decade for the great singer songwriters of the 60s and 70s yeah um but even more so for for warren zevon um in the mid 80s i mean it's definitely a um it it sounds different from where he had been five years previous um it's it's an edgier kind of music obviously which makes sense with rem kind of coming in um and even the lyrics are just more you know there, there are a couple uh, flashes of like you know classical zevonisms here and there but it is evan i think you were onto something like it is a little more primitive and a little just kind of harder and sharper um and more straight to the heart 
uh, on a lot of this stuff. Um, you know, the, the fucking keyboard riffs from Excitable Boy and Werewolves are nowhere to be found um, on this, basically this entire record. Although there are a couple songs that are kind of catchy. Um, yeah, and I think the idea was that, you know, we're going to, because I think Andrew Slater produced it. And I think the idea was that we're going to modernize him a little bit, you right. know, that it's more of a college rock type thing. I mean, R.E.M., they had their first platinum album in 1987 with, with Document. So they oh, were so this was in... the same year. Because so, neither of us are like know our ass from a hole, a hole in the ground as far as it comes to R.E.M., not because we dislike them, but just because we haven't we just gotten around know. to it yet. So, but, so this is when R.E.M. was exploding. Yeah, you know, the one I love was their first top 10 hit that right. came out on Document. Uh, it's the End of the World as We Know It was on that same Sure, record. I know that one. So, I mean, they, they had the classic gradual um, rise. I mean, Murmur came out, their debut record, it was cr- you know very critically acclaimed, and each album sold better than the last for the most part. And Document was where they became an MTV band. Right. And so bringing them in, um, you know, you could liken it to like not totally the same degree, but like Neil Young working with Pearl Jam or something in the mid 90s. Although Pearl Jam was more popular than REM was at this point. Or if Dylan had made a record with the plugs, you know, like Dylan working with Lanois in some sense is like a sidestep that's similar where it's like, well, what if you worked with a real producer who does U2 records and then. We got you to uh, some of that fairy dust would rub off on you. In this yeah. case, with sentimental hygiene, I have to say, not one of my favorite songs on the record. And I would not <laughs> have called this record. I think it's a mistake that it was named that. It's like, as far as sales, I can't imagine that did it any favors. Well, uh, yeah, P- naming anything hygiene. Hygiene not... is just such a... He, <laughs> and War- Warren Zevon seems to do this a lot. Like, if you pay attention closely throughout his whole uh, body of work, there's times when it seems like he just w- like wants to die on the hill of a one really weird word, and that's just what's going to happen. Like, I mean, you've got his, brosolosis. His in, brosolosis, uh, yeah. Yeah, and uh, uh, what's it called? Play it all night long. You've got, uh, I mean, there's a monkey song in this. There's a monkey song in the other one. (laughs) I mean, he he followed up his like chart topping like all time career high water mark with an album called Bad Luck Streak in Dancing Dancing School. School? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) it's not. It doesn't roll right off the tongue the same way that Excitable Boy does. Like what is the French inhaler? That's that's the way you smoke a cigarette. Oh, right. No. No. It's the I now I know. Anyways, a little kludgy title, but uh, I think the song rocks. Um, another song that rocks, Boom Boom Mancini. Yeah. Gretchen Haler's good title, actually. Yeah. Boom Boom Mancini, one of my favorite Warren so Zevon songs. And and this was... Uh, now I'm remembering the piece I wrote. This is a song that I fixated <laughs> on in that piece because I do think it is, um, you know, it illustrates, I think, a core theme of Warren Zevon's songs. Sure. Just this idea that being alive is administering punishment or taking punishment mm-hmm. or both and uh you know and a very raging bull type idea and i i shared this with you there's this great bootleg from 1982 at, in boston yeah that concert was um, fucking insane he played like 30 songs or something 
it's great. And at one point he dedicates accidentally like a martyr to Martin Scorsese and he talks about how much he loves Raging Bull. And it makes me think of the song Boom Boom Mancini because I think it's a similar sort of Jake LaMotta idea that like the only way that he could feel anything is by taking a beating in the ring. Sure. And yeah. there's and I think that's a recurring thing in a lot of Warren Zevon songs, the the idea of love being painful and sometimes if you love something you also hurt it. Mm-hmm. In some way, yeah. And the, the game the, is be hit and hit back. To yes, go exactly. back to the, that uh, idea of uh, something that he does all through his music, where it goes for these you know delicate moments of literally him playing piano. You know, not what we typically think of, and not as he does it. Like he doesn't play super hard on a lot of songs. There are these very gentle piano moments, and then on the other side of the spectrum, it's like this song, which is as far from that as you could possibly get. This is like that pounding, incessant riff. Uh, yeah, this those, is like a drums. Hard, this is like a hard rocker for, uh, yeah, as far as Warren Zevon songs go. It yeah. kind of goes back. He seems fascinated by, I, I, it would make sense that boxing is like a, a topic he wants to explore. And he, he does that with uh, hockey in another song, uh, Hit Somebody. The yeah. hockey song. Right. Um, Co-written so with David th- Letterman, I think. Or I know David Letterman's on that track. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's him? Yeah. Saying hit somebody? <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, sports are a, a pretty good metaphor for if you're someone who's fascinated with artistry and also physical punishment. Especially like an old school kind of sport like boxing in this case. Like, you know, Boom Boom Mancini like sounds like the name of a hitman, but he's a boxer. Like, and it, yeah. like his dad being a part of Mickey Cohen's gang, uh, we should note that. That's sort of why a lot of his, uh, his family life was a little troubled growing up. Uh, his dad was apparently the best man at Mickey Cohen's first wedding. Um, also hails, Warren does, uh, from both Jewish and Mormon stock. So that's a real, very powerful fusion. Uh, yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting mix. <laughs> and, that's, and, and again, like, you know, the, I mean, he's such a character. I mean, he just seems like a fictional character in, in, in so many ways. Like when you, when you talk about those, like, like a James Elroy novel or yes, something. Yes, literally, know. exactly. Um, Mancini? Straight out or, of uh, or, 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 or American Zivon. tabloid. Zevon himself, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, but, uh, Boo, but you know, the other thing about Boom Boom Mancini, like this is a guy who killed someone in the ring, and Zevon is essentially defending him in the song. He's saying, like, you know, he was doing what he was supposed to do. Yeah. You know, and uh, you can't judge this guy. It, that's just the way it's supposed to be. And it, that seems like a very, you know, prototypical Zevon hero. Right in a song, because yeah, especially if you see him, if if you see this song less as a song about Boom Boom Mancini and more as a song about Warren Zevon through the lens of Boom Boom Mancini, as you kind of um, uh, articulate in that uh, in that ringer piece, Uh, also rhymes with this song rhymes with Who Killed David? Yeah, I was about to say. Um, Although it's it's really funny that Dylan covered this song, considering that Who Killed David Moore is like such a subtle and thoughtful take on us on the same subject basically yeah, i mean they're doing different they're using the same thing here you know a boxer killing someone um uh, but doing very different things with it but i i think i have to imagine zevon had that in the back of his mind when he was uh when he was writing this song yeah it's like this song's like who killed davy Moore? bob's like well in a sense we all did and zevon's like who gives a fuck <laughs> 
on the note of Bob, next song, The Factory, Zevon goes Springsteen and brings Bob along to really fucking like rock out on the harp on this one. That is like maybe Bob's one of Bob's like best harmonica parts, certainly at this moment in time, you know, 87. Uh, he kicks ass on this. <laughs> These songs in succession, Boom Boom Mancini and The Factory, like, this is, this slaps. There's no other way to put it. Like, Boom Boom Mancini, before we move on totally, I just want to point out, I love, I just love hearing him say that. It works so well as (laughs) a phrase to hear repeated again and again. Um, And just like him throwing those boxers names in there. um, Bobby Bobby Jacone, Alexis Arguello. It just sounds really good. Uh, So good. and and that into this next song, this is high point here. I love the factory as the factory. well. Yeah, you know, like you were saying, that it is a bit of a Springsteen parody. I mean, there is a Springsteen song called Factory, you know, on Darkness on the Edge of Town. Um, and I, I mean, I think Dylan was on the record because he likes Warren Zevon, and it, you know, it speaks to how you know the esteem that Zevon was held in that he got. Dylan and Neil Young, you know, to be on side A of his record, that's that, right. that's pretty amazing. And then, that's a you know, flex. And his last record, I mean, uh, you know, Tom Petty and Springsteen were on there, and uh, so other artists really liked uh, Zevon. I also wonder too, like, did Bob just like to make fun of Bruce Springsteen in the late eighties? I mean, I feel like that's part of <laughs> yeah, it too. Probably. You think of you know, Tweeter and the Tweeter Monkey, and the Monkey Man, Man. A few years after this, I just uh, well, there was. Uh, that bit of stage patter too from like his 2021 tour where uh i don't know if you saw that yeah that someone was made a, a, a weird thing well didn't someone make a request or something and dylan's like you know what do you think this is springsteen on broadway or this I is actually, springsteen yeah. on broadway <laughs> <laughs> I'm so confused by what exactly happened in that exchange because I think the thing that I think they said pretty boy Floyd and then I don't know why they would say that and then I don't know like and then Bob said like you're at the wrong show and then I didn't know why he would say that about Bruce like what is the connection there there's something I'm missing well he's in New York you know and so he's in the proximity of Broadway and uh, I just think he likes to take the, the the piss out of Bruce a little bit. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I was. Uh, I mean, we're gonna get sidetracked into Bob here for a second, but I was. Uh, I was really into uh, the uh, Heartbreakers tour, like the early Heartbreakers tour, the the Sydney Australia show from February. Yeah, the '86 uh, one of '86, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, there's. He, Bob has great stage patter in that show. He's incredible. Talk, he talks about like reading review and says that he's like a parody of himself. And he's like, lots of people are sounding like me these days, 
you know, right. why can't I sound like me? And I, I felt like that was a subtweet of Bruce Springsteen. He even, you know? I think he even mentions Spring because later in that show, there, there before he goes into in the garden, I think um, Bob starts going off about heroes, and he's like. Uh, oh, yeah. Money's a hero. Michael Jackson's a hero. Bruce Springsteen is a hero. Right. Here's a song about my hero, Jesus Christ, and, and he yeah. goes in the garden. Is that the uh, one where did he also shout out Mel Gibson at that show? Yes, yes, that's exactly right. He's, he's Boy, that's Australia. quite a quite a trio there. Um, yeah. Anyway, back to that, Warren Zevon here. Yeah, just sidetrack <laughs> us. But yeah, I uh, I love the song too. And yeah, Bill Berry, Bill Berry on drums, killing it. Uh, hidden way harder, I think, than on uh, than on any REM record. I mean, yeah, this doesn't sound like. Uh, I mean, it, like if you put this record on without knowing that REM is the band behind no. it, like you're not necessarily. I, I gotta confess that's not something. The first, uh, sonic uh, reference point that comes to mind here. Gotta tell you, I didn't know that. All right, well there you go. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because when you think of REM, you think of like jangly Rickenbacker guitar, and you think of Mike Mills backing vocals. And of course, Michael Stipe's voice. Michael Stipe is on this record, right? On side is, two. Yep. Um, but uh, yeah, Bill Berry. I think he's uh, he's the MVP. Secret of the, weapon of, of the, the band. The he's factory the drums hard. The song itself lyrically seems to be in the in the same vein as something like "Play It All Night Long," or it's kind of like a tableau of a certain type of American life. And in this case, it's just like the bone crushing drudgery and work of of living in a a factory town and everybody in your family works for this car company that just chews people up and spits them out and you have to go and work for them too and that's just like how it's uh, gonna be that was really like that was the fascination of these like um like every rock star between like 1984 and 1988 it appears between Zevon here and Bruce obviously and our friend uh, John Cougar who you recently educated us on yep. Stephen uh, just the uh, the attention to the um the the blue collar union worker uh, who basically doesn't exist anymore there's union there's a, there's a major uh, you could yeah, say the sun Bob, is going go, down union on the union. exactly. <laughs> Man, uh, something in the air at that time. Yeah, and then all the bands moved to Brooklyn, and they right. didn't give a shit about Middle America, the real America <laughs> anymore. Just abandon us. They, uh, and I'm joking, but I'm glad um, you're. Uh, I'm glad you're. You're keeping the spirit alive out there yeah. in uh, in Minnesota, Stephen. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Make, making polyvinyl chloride in the factory. In the factory, yeah, in the content <laughs> factory. <laughs> in the co- <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, Trouble waiting to happen. Yeah, Great song. Maybe the catchiest tune. song on the entire record. Like, this is the one, I think, if there's any song in here that sounds kind of like classic, like, Excitable Boy era, excuse me, Excitable Boy era, Zevon, like, this is as close as it gets. That, that guitar riff is just like, it's beautiful. I love this. Yeah, and, and and lyrically, it's another song uh, where, it, I mean, this is a song where, like you said, it's such an, a catchy toe-tapper of a song, but then lyrically, there's storm clouds on the horizon. Fucked, yes. Uh, turn know. on the news to the Third World War, open the paper, and see World War Four. <laughs> so good. That's how it and, feels uh, right now. Yeah. And, you know... 
I'm with you, you know, to go back to Sentimental Hygiene, the title track, that musically it's a little plotting, you know, like with the uh, synth riff. And Although I, I, I've come around on that song, I think the Neil Young guitar playing is, I mean, I love Neil Young as a guitar player, so that, that hooks me in. And But it's playing on that theme. There's, there, there's this sort of redemptive quality of that song. But then, you know, this isn't just like, oh, everything's great now right. type album. You, you know, this is acknowledging like the darkness is still there. And it's like it's waiting to happen. He's like waiting to be sucked back into like whatever hell he just escaped. Yeah, and and I think that's always creeping on this album. I you know I think overall it kind of feels like I'm trying to wipe the slate clean here, and um, there's a rawness to this album, but there's also like a professionalism to totally. it. Totally. At the same time, uh, that he's I think he's trying to prove that um, I got my shit together and I can, you know, make a go of this. Um, yeah, which he pretty much did from here on out until he died yeah he was um, clean he was clean up until like literally the cancer diagnosis from this point right. forward yeah uh so regardless of whether or not his career kind of uh you know continued on the upswing which obviously it didn't um you know personally it seems like he was finally able to kind of put the pieces together at this point i mean i think he's still a big womanizer he's probably still like a sex no, addict no. but he wasn't like a <laughs> drug addict so you know take it where you can get it yeah um yeah yeah this is uh this is just a really fascinating song really terrific song because it is so catchy and fun but also so kind of naked and straightforward about like his own fucked up kind of history you know i uh, I read things uh i didn't know i'd done it sounded like a lot of fun well i guess i've been bad or something trouble waiting to happen there's this there's that anecdote i forget if it's in your piece or in the rolling stone piece or in both but where he's um he's he's constantly apologizing to his his ex-wife for hitting her once Right. Um, and, and she's like, why, why does he keep apologizing for just this one time that he hit me? <laughs> right. Right. And, and, it's and it's because he he's doesn't so remember. blacked out. Yeah. yeah. He doesn't remember all of the other times. It's just like, whew, a, a, guy, a guy like this could not fly these days. I mean, yeah. uh, the, the thing about a lot of these songs, I just, I will say, I don't always feel like he's really being, uh, that. I don't necessarily believe that he doesn't know that it was multiple times. Like, I don't know that he really has no concept. Like, Oh, it was, I was blacked out. Like, uh, I guess I didn't know what I did. All those, all those bad things I did. Like I kind of have doubts about like how honest he's being with himself in, in through song sometimes like, Oh, I it, like in this song, perfect example of like, Guess I was bad or something. It's like you know, you know, you will probably, but I, you have a rough idea of the types of things you did. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's interesting. I mean, you know, the the thing with Zivon to me, because you're right, it's hard to talk about him sometimes, because there is all this baggage with him that you don't want to excuse. I think what's different about him compared to a lot of artists is that. Yeah, maybe in the songs it's not totally nakedly, you know, brutally honest, but you know, he did ask his ex-wife before he died to write the book about him. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah. like I think I think that the bad parts of his story have never really been hidden that much. Maybe he hasn't admitted to everything, but I don't think anyone who knows about Warren Zevon is under the illusion that like well, he's like a pretty nice guy. You know, right. you, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like that's always been part of 
who he is. So it's a little bit different than I don't, some I, artists. I, I want to be clear that I don't feel that he ought to be like confessing or, or repenting through song about anything that he's done. But I think that really what something I've felt more and more as I've gotten older and having been exposed to his music at a, at a young age, I think that it did actually for me occur to me at some point that some things he does, um, the way he casts himself and some of the ways these songs, um, go i mean as as in there's a sort of intoxicating quality to them because they make you feel like relatable it's relatable in a a certain way that feels kind of like wow like i'm able to kind of acknowledge dark things about my own life or things that i've done or thought about through this guy's music but at some points i think it actually does tip over into this maybe this is unhealthy Oh, it's a absolutely. Bit. Like, like this. <laughs> I, mean, I, I, like, I can't wallow maybe as much as, as I sh- like. I shouldn't wallow this much. And he's so like catchy, compelling, and captivating that sometimes you find yourself like actually wallowing a bit in your own shit and his own stuff. And like, uh, it's a I mean, dangerous I about, game. I wrote about that in my piece. That like when I was writing that, I was obviously listening to a lot of Warren Zevon, and I realized that like when I'm immersing myself in this guy's music as much as I love it, I'm not very good to myself usually mm-hmm. in those instances because yeah, I just want to like drink a bottle of whiskey and and like listen <laughs> to uh, these, you know, listen to his records. I mean, I think like one thing I try to get across, and this is an example on this record because we go from. Trouble, uh, trouble waiting to happen to reconsider me. Right. That the sort of Saturday night, Sunday morning dichotomy that I think exists on a lot of his records. You know, excitable boy, you have Werewolves of London into accidentally like a murder. That's like another instance, like where you're chasing this hell raising rocker that you know you just like want to do whiskey shots and have a good time. And then there's the next day where you feel terrible by yourself right and 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 maybe that's another form of you know like you were saying wallowing you know like that because you could make the argument that nothing's being solved you're just sort of on this endless cycle of mistakes and recrimination you know which isn't the best thing to do but i don't know i think it's interesting on this record that reconsider me is i think the only song that rem is not on that it is basically like mike campbell's on there from the heartbreakers don henley it's basically the la rock song right on the record it's and it's very polished and slick and i don't know if there was an idea that this would be like a hit single maybe feels like it's been crafted to to be that um, yeah i mean that would have been a ballsy move to call this comeback album reconsider me Right, that would have been a good title, actually. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I this song I just find to be heartbreaking. I as, yeah. When I was listening to it before, it was I don't know. Do you know that Randy Newman song, Marie? Yeah. Yeah. That's like that's a beautiful song. It's a similar thing where the narrator of that song is this terrible person. Yeah. Or and his then, song, uh, the other Randy Newman song, uh, "I Just Want You to Hurt Like I Do." That do you know that one? It's like even yeah. more obvious. Like Randy I, does I, I that. 
uh, I think just like the tender, like the tenderness of Marie just always gets to me that like, even like this terrible person like loves this woman, but he's also saying like, I'm like, I'm not a good boyfriend or husband. Like, I'm not going to be there for you, but I, but I do love you. And there's a similar feeling of that. This one feels really earnest in a way that I think does actually make it unique in his love songs. Cause he wrote a lot more like straight up love songs. I think after this that are a little bit um, more tongue in cheek, they like, uh, they kind of acknowledge like his failures within the, with a kind of more humorous edge and this one is really like naked it really feels like stripped down yeah a lot of what he does is either you know typically is either writing about a character uh and you know there's some sort of uh you know uh, distance between him and the subject there that he's able to kind of ironize um or uh you know he writes as himself but firmly tongue in cheek, you know, kind of um you know, my shit's fucked up or something like that. Yeah, a yeah. lot of Mr. stuff Mr. on Mr. Bad Example. On that record, um, um, Life Will but, Kill You is like yeah. that. But this is neither like there's no character here, there's no tongue in cheek. This is just like he is he is being heart on sleeve, pouring it all out on the tape for you. Yeah, and and it's delivered in a very tender way. It's a very like pretty song. Um, you know, to me, the sister song of that of this in his catalog is "Searching for a Heart" from uh, Mr. Bad Example. Mm-hmm. I just think musically they're similar, um, and uh, yeah, it's sort of that like post addiction vulnerability. You know, like he's kind of letting himself feel after being numb for a long time, right? And and you know, it it's that old trope of like. The scoundrel who shows himself to be sensitive. I mean, that's oh, that's such an effective. We love it. Thing, you know, like in yeah. movies, you know, like Han Solo. You know, this, oh, Han Solo's a softy. You know, and uh, Warren's. Yeah, it just makes Warren's it. Warren Zevon would have made a good effective. Han Solo. He would have. He would have been. Would have been great. He's the uh, Han Solo of of rock music. It's a good observation. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> uh, well, speaking of, uh, you know, uh, uh, being a scoundrel, Detox Mansion. Um, yes. This, this is, is uh, one of those ones where he just seems to drip with utter contempt for his subject, which like, might a, be himself, but also is every other celebrity. Yeah, I think it's just kind of, this is this is him kind of having a lark on this record, which is mostly a pretty, like, serious and kind of, um, uh, you know, stu- uh, studied, steady kind of album. But this is, is it? I think for the most, but yeah, between Sentimental Hygiene and Boom Boom Mancini and Reconsider uh, Me, I mean, Trouble Waiting to Happen. Like, this, we gotta talk this more is him. about the second half, though. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Um, this is him yeah. just kind of, you know, futzing around. Yeah, I have to say, like, um, I mean, I love this whole album. Like the like side one to me is like one of the great Warren Zevon album sides, yeah. even with the title track, um, which I I'm gonna say I'm on board with the title track. Yeah. I'm gonna officially put my vote behind it. The okay. second side seems looser to me, mm-hmm. and but but fun. Like I like the second side a lot. It, it's a good chaser for the first side. I, I don't think I'd want everything to be as heavy as like Reconsider Me. Totally, you know, cause you want some. You want. I mean, that's the thing with Zevon is like, uh, 
his sensitivity is a draw, but you you love the bravado, like you want some bravado from him. Yeah, and like that's that that's coming out here, and and the humor, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Detox Mansion, I think, uh, good song. You know, it uh, is what it is. Bad Karma, next one, fantastic. This yeah. this sounds a little bit like REM. This is as right. kind of jangly as you get in that sitar, which obviously is not an REM kind of instrument, but it, this is this one rocks. Again, my yeah. vote for this would have been the best title for the record of the songs if he Bad. was going to. Just if he any, was name any the song record other song, than yeah. uh, "Sentimental Hygiene," you vote yeah. for the title of this record. No, I'm basically. <laughs> I mean, but I, I like mean, Bad I think, Karma. I think from a commercial perspective, I, I can get behind that. But "Sentimental Hygiene" is such an unusual title that I I love it. I'm I'm totally on board with it. Yeah, like the like that title. And attempted mustache, the Loden Wainwright. <laughs> attempted mustache, damn. <laughs> They're like two of my favorite uh, album titles, certainly by singer-songwriters. But yeah, Michael Stipe is on this song, so I think that adds to the R.E.M. That's what it, that also could be part of it. Yeah, he's doing the backup oh, that, vocals here, right? Yeah, doing the backing vocals. And this is, I feel like, I, it's like a comedic version of Trouble Waiting to Happen. Right. Trouble Waiting to Happen is more of like a straightforward... Uh, although again, that's so catchy, you can you can look beyond the lyrics. But I feel like Bad Karma is more kind of having a laugh over the it's, idea it's that we're very, doomed. It's very dated in a way. Uh, the fact that me, it's called Bad Karma, just, and yeah, a something on it. Yeah, a sitar, <laughs> Bad Karma coming right off after a song called Detox Mansion, which is like about like the celebrities are all alcoholics and drug addicts. Like it, I I mean. I feel like in a way he was prescient and cutting edge when this came out. Cause like, he's like mad at stuff like that would be like people being mad at reality TV, like well before that even happened. Well, I think it's so it's, it's like a post seventies record. I, I, I think he's yeah, sort of commenting that, that on his sense. generation where, you know, well he came out of rehab. So, I mean, it's not like he's, uh, looking throwing down stones. On, yeah, yeah. He's not looking down on people that, uh, are, you know, it's not like he's Mr. Clean Living, um, but that was something a lot of you know a lot of his peers were going through, and then Bad Karma. It just feels all like, that oh. Eastern mysticism just right. crashing down. Yeah, exactly. And it's like now we're in the '80s, and uh, <laughs> you know, but we still have this '70s baggage that yeah. we're dealing with. Boy, yeah, baggage, pounds of baggage. He's he's got to pay some overage fees. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, the, the idea of of Bad Karma here just being that like. Yeah, basically, like, it's not even, like, no matter what I do, stuff from my past life is just going to, like, drag me into the depths again. So, like, uh, good luck. Yeah. Uh, then we got Even a Dog Can Shake Hands. Uh, a little bit of a rave up here. Uh, again, kind of a commentary on the biz, Hollywood, yes. the, the, the bad guys out there. They're trying to uh, pull a fast one on you because... This was a, I think this record was actually relatively successful um, as far as, you know, like selling, selling copies went. Um, but, you know, he had come off of obviously a, a five year long fallow period and spent a lot of money on uh, getting clean uh, and then promptly took a nosedive after this with Transverse City uh, and, you know, critically or excuse me, commercially didn't really get back to where he had been uh, ever again, even though there's the kind of late career renaissance. Um 
anyways, it, 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 seemed, it seems like he, he had some money problems here and there, and I think that's where this song's coming from. Well, and it took him so long, too, to get his career off the ground. I mean, right. you know, like he's on the Midnight Cowboy soundtrack. You know, there's a song uh, by Warren Zevon on that album, and he had that album that came out in 69 called Wanted Dead or Alive. Right, the one with went, Kim Fowley. Yeah, that went nowhere, and, you know, he was... For many years, you know, it was like an open secret that he was this great songwriter and he couldn't get a record deal because he has this weird voice and his songs are, uh, they're great, but they're not really commercial, you know? I mean, you know, it'll be interesting. I want to see the response to this episode because I I really feel like Warren Zevon, it's like one out of ten people. Like yeah. Fun, you know, you think he's really, that acquired of a taste? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's something you know. In that piece I wrote, that was something that beyond like, Werewolves, I, London. Yeah, I mean, every I think like nine out of ten people probably know that song in some form, but to actually be a fan of of the man's material beyond that is, I think, pretty rare. I, th- I think yeah. a lot of people don't realize that uh, the line in Excitable, Go- Excitable Boy goes, then he raped her and killed her, and then he took her home. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. It's not really palatable music to, to most people uh, because, you know, especially now, he's in that singer-songwriter L.A. 70s camp, which is not terribly fashionable to begin with. Right. But then the people who are who are into that kind of music tend to be drawn more to the James Taylor, Jackson Brown, Eagles side of the equation, where it's very well-crafted, beautiful songs that go down easy, you know? Sure, sure. Uh, so it's hard to really slot him. Um, and he's also just pissed a lot of people off. I mean, you know, he's not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I feel like that might still stem from him alienating Jan Winner in the late 70s. Like, he supposedly insulted Jan Winner backstage at a Springsteen concert once, and Winner was like, I'm never going to have anything to do with this guy ever again. (laughs) You know, he just had terrible, um, you know, just terrible self-sabotaging yeah it's not even luck yeah it's just he had no sense he had bad karma Uh, yeah bad karma um which makes the song even funnier when you do think about him just kind of being so fast and loose so reckless with his career and those relationships then he writes a song (laughs) right guess i have bad karma it's out of my well who knows why (laughs) and i think that song acknowledged it yeah i think he's being a bit uh that's that's when he's really at his best is when he's kind of acknowledging his faults but also like kind of just being mad about like <laughs> petty bullshit even yeah. though he, he's it's it actually is like a nuanced song i think which is why it, it doesn't flop and even a dog can shake hands um to me it's about the the song title so uh, I mean, Zevon knew how to title songs. There was there was a, a I forget if that was, again it was in your story or the Rolling Stone one because I read them. That back. was mine, like where I listed his my favorite song titles. Well, and and he meant or maybe maybe it's one of the genius annotations. It, it, something I read today said that he starts with song titles or he yeah. started with song titles when he was and then filled in the rest of it. Um, yeah. After that, which you can really kind of tell, at least knowing that, because some some of his song titles are so fucking you know just fantastic. But that's such a 
funny way to write songs that like literally the complete opposite way of uh, our main subject on this show um even like a headless thompson gunner just writing that down on a piece of paper and then having (laughs) to fill in the blanks (laughs) and making it it almost seems sometimes where it was almost like he wanted to challenge himself how can i make how can i make this title musical it's going right, you know. right, putting that down, and then going uh, about writing the song, and just thinking. Um, let's see here. Uh, Roland was a warrior from the <laughs> land of uh, the Midnight Sun. Midnight Sun. There you go. But or um, even like even the title like accidentally like a murder. Like what does that mean? That's right. a crazy. Well, I, I, good hasten title. down the wind. Yeah, but it's like I know what it means when I hear it. You know, sure, I know exactly. what that, that. But I know. You, Robert Crisco in his review of Excitable Boy. Crisco. He said he hated accidentally like a martyr because he said the title didn't make sense. He's uh, such a like pedantic little bitch sometimes. I mean that I'm title uh, all the time. All the time, man. For, I'm sorry. For, uh, accidentally like a martyr, I, I don't think it makes sense uh in a way that's obvious or even in the way that he thought it made sense. But I think if you it it's a really interesting poetic phrase and I think there are some really profound meanings that one could read into it. It's a really interesting title for a song. I always took it as meaning that uh, you are sacrificing yourself in a a heroic way, but not on purpose. But that doesn't mean it doesn't have significance or Significance to others. A very Zivon kind of, uh, you know, concept or idea. Yeah. That's how I always saw it but yeah i don't know i but even just saying that i feel but then like there's also i'm ruining uh, there's, it there's some other <laughs> i think there's some darker ways of understanding it too it's like because that has occurred to me but it, i've also wondered like is this kind of about like i don't matter so like you just throw yourself away and you're you're accidentally like be, like it's better for other people like or something like that like you're accidentally doing something good by just by uh martyring yourself well, I mean, that song, it seems to be about like a love affair that was really passionate and didn't last for very long. And now he's looking back on it. Yeah. With, 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 with gratitude and regret. So, yeah, yeah that's true. Anyway. Well, let's wrap, uh, let's wrap this one because we want to keep things moving here for us tonight. Um, we got uh, The Heartache and Leave My Monkey Alone. Heartache sort of like Reconsider Me Light. Um, oh, no. Heartache is way better than Reconsider Me. It, I, better than Reconsider Me? Surely think, you must be joking. I don't know. I think it's, well, it's not like as straight up like. Reconsider Me is like it's, top five it's, all it's of his good, entire catalog kind of song. I don't know. I love The Heartache. It's my favorite song in the record. Wow. All right. I, I mean, it's a good song, absolutely. But it it, um, Re- it just feels like we're mining so, kind good, of the same the same ground as yeah. as Reconsider Me. For that matter, we're doing the same thing though with like Detox Mansion, Bad Karma, Trouble right. Waiting to Happen. Yeah, uh, that's fair. So the heartache, I think, is I just love the melodic uh, sensibility in it. Um, it's a very pretty song, and and it's like it's a kind of unique catchiness that he is able to to really pull off sometimes i feel like he does it really well here i love that riff of just like the the way it starts that this one again like pretty uh, uh, as close on this record as it gets to like the french inhaler or something like really kind of swelling big anthemic kind of um melodies i was gonna say lyrics just like the blue feeling to the maximum so good 
Yeah, to me, it felt the most like a song that could have been on his first album. Yeah. Out of any of these where you see the classical background that he has right. coming to the fore. And, and on that first record, the grandness of a lot of those arrangements, you feel you know, that's him spreading his wings. And for the most part, like on this record, as we've said, it's him... I think being pretty rocking. I think it's a pretty rocking record for the most yeah. part. But yeah, this. So I really love it for that reason. I I still like reconsider me more. I think also just because of the subtext of it. it yeah, it sucks me in. But like this is him treading similar ground, and it's just great craftsmanship. Like it just reminds you, like this guy had the chops. He wasn't just like a wild asshole dude you know he was actually like a really talented musician um the song i think the first time i heard it i kind of was like laughing because it's so maudlin and self-serious and like sad it's so sad that it is um i don't know i i I like that about it but it, it is kind of disarming just like how sappy it is but I still love it and I still like believe in it as a song. I really feel like it it comes across as as honest and it doesn't feel like knowing who he is, I think makes it work for me cuz it's like if I just heard some goof singing right, this yeah, song. Right, coming from Warren Zevon. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I know what you mean by that. It's the Han Solo thing again. It's, yeah, it is. It's it's, it's 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 the swashbuckler, you know, taking a moment to be sensitive um yeah and it <laughs> yeah. works if yeah if it was a jackson brown song it might not work as well totally. um, yeah you can't hear like that's the trouble with relationships they end too soon there's just certain things it do be story. like that yeah i mean yeah <laughs> but but why do they end warren in your case, you know, that's the uh, question. They end. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Who can say? It's, you know, the, the risk I'm in fault, she's at fault. You know, the, we both are to blame. When he says, and they don't love you, and it's like, <laughs> well, what happened? Maybe I'm not hearing everything in this scenario. <laughs> that's a short song. You can't get it all in there. Yeah, it's only three minutes long. But you kind of got to love him for, for just doing this. Yeah. Uh, and then the record ends on... Maybe the weirdest song on the record, sort of a lark, uh, but also sort of like a classical Zevon track in that he's like talking about like, you know, villainous, like uh, military colonialists uh, with this weird kind of like sounds like fucking human banger. Yeah, it's it's such a weird sound um, and such a weird song to go along with the sound. I don't know. It's uh, like this record, I feel like would have a different note if it was just nine songs and it ended on the heartache but tacking this on at the end is him just i feel like he's winking at the camera with this well and is he almost like looking ahead to transverse city with this song yes i i feel like it's yeah. a preview he already had that insane idea in his head uh to make that record <laughs> and maybe to make a whole <laughs> album of leave my monkey alone yeah um <laughs> It's funny because you guys originally wanted to talk about Transverse City, and we're not going to, but... An um, album that you think is not very good. Well, but it has what is possibly my favorite Warren Zevon song, which is Splendid Isolation. Great Although, song. the uh, Learning to Flinch version yeah, uh, is the one I, 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 I go to. Sure. Um, Pete Yorn. I don't know if you guys know Pete Yorn, but he mm. does a cover of that song. No. Uh, that that might have been the first time I heard that song, was because he covered it in like the mid-aughts period. 
Transfer um, City's also got um, Nobody's in Love this year. That that song's really good. Great oh, song. Yeah. I need to revisit that record. It's I, a fun record. It's good. I think it actually holds up uh, better than than you might think. If you really just kind of like let go and let God and accept that this is like his cyberpunk opus, then like it, if, if you already accept that, then you can kind of just see how it is just a, another pretty good Warren Zevon record under that. Well, I'm glad though that we're talking about what we're going to talk about next. I don't know. Do we need to do a break here before we talk about yeah. the next record? Yeah, let's uh, let's just call it, and then uh, and then we'll get on to uh, boy, a fucking weird ass record. Um, but three how stars. many stars? You get wait. You give sentimental sentimental hygiene three stars. Yeah, of course. I love yeah, this I'm, record. I'd give it three stars too. Beautiful. All right. Okay, two stars for me. Two stars, okay. I'm, just as long as you didn't give it one. That, that was no, the... I'm give it just two. needed to make sure. Well, uh, thank you all for joining us on uh, the inaugural Excitable Boys uh, with three Excitable Boys here. We'll, uh, we'll see you down in Florida playing Seminole Bingo. If you're all alone and you need someone Makes you doubt, darling, that was then and this is now.